I love Christmas. I, I love the time uh, to just set aside something that we celebrate all year long. God sending his son to this earth to die for our sins. Uh, to be risen on the third day so that we might have life and life through him alone. And so, uh, so thankful that we get to, again, set this aside. No matter how weird our world is right now, uh, we're still celebrating that eternal truth uh, that God so loved the world. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 5. And uh, we're going to continue on in this. I I believe that uh, what we're studying is so vital and it is relevant uh, even through the uh, Christmas season. And so uh, last week we saw two examples uh, of, in the first church. On, on one hand, uh, we saw this man called Barnabas, and he was an example of encouraging, helping, serving, and even giving sacrificially uh, for the church, for the kingdom, for other people. On the other hand, we were introduced, or we saw a couple, and we kind of began to see what happened with them. This couple seemed to be well off, financially uh, well off. They had land, they had possessions, and we saw they tried to manipulate the circumstance of what was going on in the church. They saw everybody bringing money from land they sold, bringing these offerings so that people could be helped. And uh, again, we don't know if they were trying to do it to to look good, uh, if they were trying to manipulate this circumstance uh, just to be a part uh, or be able to say that, hey, we were a part of what, uh, what was going on in that first church. We don't know exactly what was in their heart except for a, a, a plot, a conspiracy to lie on what had happened. They, they sold some land. They brought part of the price that they received from selling that land to lay at the apostles' feet. Uh, feet. And again, whether it was greed, whether it was selfishness, whether it was envy, seeing that all these other people like Barnabas uh, come forward and, and give sacrificially and, and people praise God because of what other people were doing. We don't know if it was that. Um, whatever drove them. They, they lied to the leadership. And in doing so, they, Peter said they actually were lying to the Holy Spirit. And um, we know the Bible says that the Holy Spirit had filled that first church. And so as they were lying to the leadership— Peter said, you haven't lied to man, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Um, And again, approaching the church. Now, I think it's important to point out, as we said, Peter was discerning this. Peter couldn't have done this in himself. He was just a regular fisherman. We saw Peter's flesh and his mistakes along the way. Uh, If you study the Gospels, we know that Peter was was good at sticking his foot in his mouth or getting ahead uh, of himself or getting ahead of the Lord in many different ways. And so we know that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, given this wisdom, given this discernment. and uh, But he calls Ananias out. He tells him, you know, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And and we're going to see this morning what happens after he calls uh, Ananias out, after he holds him accountable for lying to not him, not just to the church, but to the Lord himself, to the Holy Spirit uh, himself. So let's pray. We're going to jump right into this. Father, thank you again for this opportunity. And uh, the, the, the great blessing it's already been to be able to lift up your name and celebrate who you are and what you've done. And uh, this Christmas season, again, as we set it aside every year, uh, specifically to celebrate this amazing love, this amazing grace that you demonstrated in sending your only son to this earth, uh, just as it was prayed, uh, to be born in a manger, to be born a servant, humbled only to become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, as Scripture says. And 
Lord, we're, we're thankful, and we do rejoice in that, Lord. We rejoice in the fact that you not only died for our sins, but you rose from the grave to give us eternal life, a guarantee that we can have life through you. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would just move this morning. If there's somebody here that doesn't have 100%, not 99, but 100% assurance that heaven is their eternal home, I pray that before they leave, they'll get that straight. And they'll grab somebody after service. They'll come forward at the invitation. They'll do whatever's necessary to make that straight. For those of us who have that 100% assurance, God, we are your people. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning as well. God, that we would realize the importance of what you've established and your program and your, your kingdom. And that we would not approach it any other way than what you desire for us to approach it, Lord. And uh, just speak to us this morning. Help us be receptive. And uh, not just receptive, but also responsive. And we'll praise you for it, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we actually see um, what happens to this man, Ananias, uh, and specifically this couple that that both lied, um, I want to make clear a principle of treating the church or not treating the church with flippancy uh, or like it's just another social group in this temporal world. Because it's not. The church is not just another group in this temporal world. I think it's a great mistake to approach the church of Jesus Christ or treat the church like just another group on this earth. Like we have a group with our jobs, we have a group with our hobbies, we have a group with uh, our family, we have a group. I think it's a, a grave mistake to approach this group like any other group on this earth. And I think a lot of Christians do, and, and, and not, I don't think always maliciously, make it maybe just mistakenly, approach this group, the church, like other groups in this, in this earth. Ananias and Sapphira obviously didn't have the same type of respect and reverence for the family, for the church, for the body, for the building of God that they supposedly were a part of. Now think about that. You had other people who were, who were selling properties. I mean, when's the last time that you and I have sold a property and brought it to, to lay it at the Lord's feet, to lay it at the, at, at the feet of, of, of this church's leadership and say, God, use it to, to bless those in need. Use it to reach those without the gospel. When's the last time we've done that? When's the last time we sold a house or a car or something with great value? So a lot of times we approach the church in our convenience and, and maybe like Ananias and Sapphira flippantly, like we can, we can appear to be spiritual like everybody else. But again, I, I think that we are making a grave mistake in this 2020, in this end of the end, of the last of the last days. I think that, that our approach to the church of Jesus Christ maybe could be more like what Ananias and Sapphira approached the church like than like Barnabas was. And Paul would. The, the church is, is a very unique organism on this earth. Very unique, distinct, set apart, the Bible says. We're told the church is a few things, and I put it on the screen, and we're going to necessarily read all the scriptures, but it, I think I put it in your notes. 
Um, and, and I encourage you to go look at these scriptures when you have an opportunity because this is what we're told in scripture that the church is. First of all, the church is the bride of Christ. Think about this. Your Lord and your Savior, the one who laid down his life and allowed his hands, who is innocent, sinless, perfect, allowed his hands to be pierced with nails and his feet with nails and his, and, and his face to be beat and spit on and his beard pulled out and a crown of thorns thrown on his head and struck down with a reed and, and all these things, did all of that in your place and my place. Majesty beyond comprehension. Glory and holiness beyond our understanding. The church is his bride, his special, blood bought, sanctified bride. Ephesians chapter 5 gives us a picture of that when it talks about the husband's role with the wife and the, the wife's role with the husband. And it's illustrated through even the church with Christ being the, the husbandman, with being the bridegroom, and, and the church being the bride. And, and so when we have a, a mindset other than what a bride should be to the, the best husband ever, the, 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 the holy God of all creation, we should be approaching this bride, this body, this organism, this, this group with a great deal of love and admiration. The bride of Christ, the church is also the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Romans, Paul was telling the, the Roman believers that just as our physical bodies have members, so does the body of Christ. So we are the members of the body of Christ. And there's no way, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a sick, there's, a, uh, uh, there, there's a, an emotional breakdown. When I say sick, I, I'm, I'm talking about a, an unhealthy a breakdown. Whenever a person, when any, any of us wants to hurt our own body, that's wrong. There's a disconnect there. There's an there's a, um, unhealthy situation, mentally, emotionally, whatever the case may be, spiritually. And so the body of Christ should not be self-mutilating. It, should it shouldn't be abusive to itself. It, it shouldn't, we sh shouldn't approach the body of Christ any other way than with great care for each member. And that's what Paul told the Corinthians, that you should, each member should have care one for another. The body, the Christ, uh, I'm sorry, the church is the building of God. He would tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as well, the building of God. And he would, he would, he would give a warning there that if anyone destroys the temple, God will hold that person accountable. God will judge that person. So if, if you attack the church, if you attack and destroy and attempt to, whether, whether it's spiritually, physically, or whatever, God will hold you accountable for attacking his building. Have you ever, you watch, watch a kid, I, we have some videos of the girls when they were littler, and uh, you know, there was one video that stands out where uh, they're trying to build with some blocks and it falls down. Uh, but that, that's okay sometimes whenever you're building something and it falls down. But you build something and somebody else comes along and crashes it down, there's a little bit, there, there's a little bit different response than that. You get frustrated when it falls down and when, when you do it. Oh, man, somebody else does it, you might want to fight. And you see that with siblings sometimes. That's what God said. Listen, this is God's building, the church, not, not this physical building, the people. The spiritual, it's a spiritual building of God. And so we have to understand this is, this is God's work. 
This is his handiwork, as Ephesians says. It's a spiritual house. The church is a spiritual house. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and 1 Peter chapter 2. It's also the temple of the Holy Spirit. So again, when, when, when Peter was telling Ananias, you haven't lied to me, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, is because the Holy Spirit was living in them. The Holy Spirit was living in them in, in a plural sense, just as Paul would tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. He says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's talking in a plural sense. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But he would go on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where he's talking about things that they should have seen, specifically fornication. And he says that you are the temple. You individually are the temple of the Holy Spirit as well. And so the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, but he also indwells the believers. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're a child of God, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not to be separated. Again, this is a grave mistake even in modern Christianity, we've talked about this before, the, the pendulum has swung back and forth. You've had the pendulum controlled by man early on, even in Catholicism, that says that you can't be a part of God unless you are a part of the Catholic Church. You can't do it. You can't, you can't be a Christian. You can't go to heaven unless you're a part of this church. But we know that Scripture tells us that once we are a Christian, we are a part of His church. That plural church the only reason why there is a plural church is because there is an individual indwelling the Holy Spirit. But they are not to be separated at any point in time. You never see, excuse me, anywhere in Scripture that an individual says, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't have to go gather with the body of believers. I don't need to be connected to them. I don't need to serve them, care for them, love them, you know, uh, do anything for other members of the body. We never see anything like that. Matter of fact, the overwhelming, overwhel every instance in, in the New Testament, there is a pushing towards the collective. There's, a, there's, a, there's an understanding of the individual in the context of the collective. I'm going to say that again. There's an understanding of the individual, of who we are, in the context of the collective. Can you imagine if somebody had never seen an eyeball before or where an eyeball went and they just walked into a room and saw an eyeball laying on a table? That'd be confusing, right? Like, whoa, what is that? What does that even do? What is that for? But you see an eyeball in somebody's head, you're like, oh, that's where that goes. That's look kind of weird with this thing coming out of the back of this ball and like it's supposed to be attached to something. It's kind of gross, you know? But you have it inside of your head, and it makes sense. That's the way the body of Christ is. The individual believer doesn't really have—we have our identity in Christ. But again, we've seen that the, the church, as, as a part of the church, we're the bride of Christ, the body, all collective, the building of God. The building's not made up of one brick or, or, or separate bricks. It's, they're all put together. A spiritual house, the same way. I would hate to be living in a house that the, the bricks were all just scattered about. Well, this is our house. Well, it doesn't really look like a house. It's like all the bricks are set out on the, it looks like somebody's about to build a house, but it's not a house. And of course, the family of God, the church, family of God, John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 3, again, referencing that, you know, I no, I no longer call you uh, servants, but I call you friends, and I call you sons, you're sons of God. Commentary said that just as the Jews had only one temple. See, as Jesus and, and, the, New, and the New Testament writers 
would be speaking to those people in the context of being Jews, anytime, especially Paul when he's writing to these Corinthians, they had an understanding of what a temple was. Other Gentiles had an understanding of what a temple was. But specifically the Jews and those who got saved understood what a temple was. They understood what the temple of God was in Jerusalem. It was one temple. And so when they begin to explain this, it, it, they fully understood what it meant to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. What it meant to be a part of the, being, uh, being the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it goes on to say, so in the fullest sense, all Christian churches and individual believers form one temple only. If you're a follower of Christ, you're here this morning, you've been born again, no doubt then you are a member of this, the church of Jesus Christ, the local fellowship. In our context, specifically now right here in this place, Trinity Baptist Temple. It's God's plan for you as a member of a local church in the context of the universal church of Jesus Christ to connect with the other members that are connected to each other. And in personal connection, we have a very clear mission of being the building, the family, the, the body, the bride of Christ. And so this morning, the very first point I think that we need to understand is this, and, and it needs to resonate in all of our hearts and our minds and our lives, is the church is eternally important and should be treated as such. If you've got something that you enjoy doing, and there's a group of people you enjoy doing it with, that's distinct from the church. The church is unique. You've got, a, you got a, a good continuity at your job, and you, you laugh, and you, you work, and you get things done with those people that you work with, and, and you feel a close bond with them because you spend 10, 8, 10, 12, 16 hours a day with these people, and you're working on tasks, and you're getting things done. And, and one of the, that is still unique. It's still different. The church is absolutely unique in that that's the only thing, the only group that is eternally important to be connected with and accomplish mission with on this earth. Amen. You know, one day your, your job, your, your temporal job is going to cease, whether you retire, whether you die, or whatever. It's going to cease. And every bit of work that you've accomplished, even if you're a great artist, it will not carry over into eternity at all unless you use that job as a mission field. There's no other, there's no significance other than being able to be a witness, number one, for the Lord, where you're at. Number two, to, to provide temporally for your family now, which is also in conjunction with being able to give to other people, to give to the Lord, to give to those in need. Again, the church is not a club that you apply for. It's not a social club that you put in an application for and then join because you want to fulfill some social or even religious need in your life. You don't, you don't come to church because, man, th these are the people that I am, am, am most uh, familiar with and, I, and, and we, we hang out together. Th those are all benefits of being a part of the church. That's not what it's about. It's a side benefit of being part of the church. The church is a spiritual and eternal vessel of God. It's a spiritual and eternal vessel for God. Again, it's a body, a family, a building, a temple that's entrusted with truth. Why, why is it so, why is the church 
so vital? Why is it so important that we approach the church with the eternal importance that it, it has and, and treat it like that? Why is it so important? Because the church is the vessel that God is entrusted with truth. And you say, yeah, but, but I'm a Christian and I have the Bible and I've been entrusted with truth too. Again, I'll re repeat this. Never in Scripture are we seen the individual has significance outside of the collective. It's always within the collective. Even when Peter went off his race, I had to tell Peter also, tell him to come back. It's, a part, it's, it's about the group. It's about the, the church. Church has been entrusted with the truth, filled with the light, filled with the Holy Spirit, commissioned to influence and to point those who are lost and doomed to face the wrath of God for all of eternity to God himself. The churches. So our command and our charge and the will of Almighty God for us is to first of all do what we're doing right now, to gather faithfully together. Why is that so important? Because a body that's separated cannot be, of course, unified and accomplish anything. How well does it go whenever you and your husband or you and your, your wife are not on the same page? When you're arguing, it, it, there's no continuity, there's no movement, you're kind of just existing and, and hoping tomorrow is a little bit better. That's not how it works. That's not how the church is supposed to be. We are to gather faithfully, number one, as a body to exalt the one who saved us and redeemed us. Together. You say, I do that by myself. Absolutely. But there's no full significance for the individual aside or outside of the collective. Always. Leave your, if, if, if you believe that, then leave your hand on the nightstand tomorrow morning when you get up and go to work. Leave your hand there. So I can't do that. Ah, God designed it to be connected and to remain connected so that it was effective and useful in the exact way that he designed it to be used. That's exactly the way the spiritual body of Christ is. If we can't do that physically, why would we assume that we could do it spiritually? We're to gather faithfully to worship God, but in our worshiping God, there's also things that we do that's important so that the, the, the hand knows exactly how it's supposed to work with the arm, and the arm knows exactly how it's supposed to work with the torso. Like, there, there's things that have to go on. There's learning that goes on. There's, there's work that goes on. There's, there's, there's literal connections, electrical impulses, and, and, and muscle memory that's formed as the body works together and, 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 and accomplishes together. There's things that happen Encouragement happens inside the body's gathering. Exhortation happens inside the body's gathering. Admonition, helping each other is supposed to happen when we gather. Serving one another is supposed to happen when we, when we gather. Loving each other, giving to one another, sacrificing, making disciples. All these things we are to, supposed to do together in effort together. There's no other mission, there's no other objective, there's no, no other cause that's more important than the mission, the cause, the objective that we have as a church. No other mission, no other task, no other objective on this earth that's more important than the mission we have as a church. You know why? You know why? because there's no other eternal matters to be about. Think about it. Think about everything that you have on this earth. 
There's only one objective you have that actually has eternal significance. And it's in the context of the church. It just is. I said, no, 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 I, my, me my, with my, my family, my, my kids and my grandkids, our families, our responsibilities that are spelled out, even in Scripture, families, jobs, let every man you know, provide for his own, like all, all that, they're spelled out in Scripture. We get those from Scripture. Love your wife. Submit to your husband. Raise your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Lead your family. Provide for your family. All of it in Scripture. With the context, all of it's given with the context of God, Christ, being at the center of our everything. So, so that again, going back to the Old Testament, you look in Deuteronomy. He says, when you lay down, talk about God's word. When you rise up, talk about God's word. When you, when you go out, talk about God. It's all to be about him. Teach your kids to, to follow. Let them see the example. Live it out yourselves. Again, it's so important for us to understand it's all with the context of Christ being the center. You're given a responsibility to work so that you can give and provide. Given the blessing and responsibility of raising kids so that they can come to know the Lord, so that they can point others to him as well. It's all in the context of that. So when we approach the church, the body, the building, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the bride of Christ, when we approach it with flippancy, we can disregard, when we can discard the church at our whim or at the world's wooing, then something is terribly wrong. Let me say that again. When we can approach the church with flippancy, when we can disregard the church, we can discard it just whenever we feel like it. Or when the world woos us to something else. Something is terribly wrong. That's, that's literally like me saying every now and then when I don't want to use my hand, I cut it off and I leave it on the nightstand. And then I seek for help to get it reattached and get it back working right. Again, that's just insane thinking. But again, that is the illustration, that is the explanation that Jesus gave, that Paul gave, that Peter gave, that we, all we have in Scripture is that type of context. And when you have somebody like Ananias and Sapphira who approach the church with this idea that it's just some group and that they want to be a part of it and they, they want to be exalted or they want to have these things, you see this great severe discipline from God in this first church to make clear you can't approach the church of God like this. You can't approach the Holy Spirit like this. Especially if you're claiming to be a part of Him, you approach this like this, and, and there is something terribly wrong. Again, this first church, they sold possessions. As I said a while ago, when's the last time that we've done that? Maybe you have, and praise God, but I just say on the large part, I'm sure that most of us aren't selling lands. Well, I don't have land. I'm saying we're just probably not selling possessions so that we can give so others can have and so that the mission goes on and is advanced even. They gave up their lives. Their lives were radically different. Even from day to day, the Bible says they were gathering daily in the temple. 
Their lives were altered by this, this radical transformation that happened in their lives. They used to live for themselves. Now the Holy Spirit came in and renovated their life, made them alive in Christ, and now their lives were completely different on a day-to-day basis. They laid down their lives for Christ, His church. Their lives that they were living, the way that they wanted them to live, shifted to a submitted life the way that He wanted them to live it. For His cause. And if they did that, and that's what was going on in the first church, what's wrong with us? wrong with us when we will sacrifice the same church, the same blood-bought church on the altar of worldly activity, responsibility, or even worldly lure. What's wrong with us? If these people were doing the opposite, these people were laying everything down, sacrificing stuff, extras. They were, they were, they were what do we got to do? Let's, let's get this done. There's an eternal mission. We're part of an eternal body. Let's get this done. This is their, their approach. And, and, and the 2020 church is approaching the church like it's just some other group in the world. And if, and if we got it, if we have time for it, we have time for it. If there's, if there's something else going on, what, what, we approach it completely different. Like it's a, if it's convenient for us or if it works out for us, if there's something the church is needing to do, then, ah, well, I, I just don't know if I want to be a part. Again, you get people lying to try to be a part of something that was going on there, but it was something that was very clearly going on in that first church. What's wrong with us? Again, we know that salvation doesn't come by being a member of the church. I've not said that, nor implied that. Salvation, being a child of God, doesn't come by being a part of this group. It's not mixed up, as I said a while ago, like the Catholic Church is. But let's not ever forget that being saved makes us a member of the eternal body, the, the church, the bride, the temple, the building of God, the house of God. And that membership carries with it an, an eternal connection, an eternal devotion. At least, again, that's what Jesus taught. The struggle is you're going to hear this, it's, it's here. And for hearing this here, you can go listen to some podcast. You can go pull up some YouTube. You can talk to a friend that goes to another church. And you can hear something else. And so with this, there's so many other options or thoughts or opinions out there. Just as Jesus called for all. That's what we should be seeing in this body. That's what we should be seeing, all of us together, pouring our lives out for the king. So many think that, well, if I do that, then I can't be there for my family. I can't devote my time to the responsibilities that I have in this world and and be faithful, attend, and serve. Some, on another hand, busy themselves and tire themselves with worldly endeavors. 
And they do so to the point that they're willing to sacrifice their faithfulness and their connection to the body, the eternal body, so that they can get that rest. Is that what we should give? Something eternal for something temporal? God's will has always been for his people and seen clearly through his church as a family. The work, the life in the temporal world, you say, I got my family, I've got my my job, I've got things that, that are responsibilities in this world. God's will has always been that everything temporal would revolve around him. Everything. He would be the center. He would be what everything else found its context in. The one who actually blessed us with everything. I have no family except for the blessing of God. I have no health or ability to do anything without the blessing of God. I have nothing that's worth anything apart from him. So why in the world would I ever take any of those temporal things or even blessings that can be eternal in significance, like my family? Why would I ever sacrifice God for anything that he's blessed me with? Remember how he tested Abraham? It was quite the opposite. The promise of Isaac. Here's your son. Oh, man, I, we're, we're blessed to have two children, and some of you may, may have one as well. Can you imagine your one and only child? God saying, I blessed you with them. Now go give them back to me. <laughs> what does that look like? Some people with two say, well, can I choose which one? <laughs> no. <laughs> but again, God's will was that the family would center on Christ together. That all of our lives, all of our world would be shaped, our worldview, our world perspective would be shaped with him at the center, Christ at the center, which again, we've talked about this, the body of Christ, the building of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the family of God, all of it, Christ is at the center. It's all about the collective. It's what we're seeing in Acts. It's what we see throughout the teaching of the New Testament. That our job, again, would be that tool that God blesses us with, to be able to to give to others, to give to his work, to provide for our family in this temporal world. The activities that we enjoy. And I believe God has given us activities to enjoy. He says the, the, the blessings that he's given us in the world are to be enjoyed. Never. Never to be, though, put before him. They're bonus blessings. See, we even get that wrong sometimes, right? We have things that we like to do, and sometimes we, we do those things, and our family suffers, right? What happens when, when our family suffers? Everything goes wrong. Everything's bad. And we realize sometimes it takes our spouse, sometimes it takes our kids, sometimes it takes somebody else, a, a objective, outward Saying, hey, maybe you're spending too much time doing this. Oh, maybe so. Why would it be any different or more important for that than it would be for the family of God 
God put the blood in our body. He designed the biological, the reproductive system so that whenever a child is conceived and born, it has the same blood, same DNA, same the, the, from both, both parts. God's design. We didn't, uh, we just did, we just did. <laughs> our part was doing what God designed us to do. <laughs> but it's all God. It's all His. Same way in the spiritual birth. Nothing. We just went the way that He designed it. If we got saved, we trust in Christ, sacrificed it all. So important. Barna Research has found this and Looks like I'm only getting point one this morning. <laughs> Barna said this, regular attenders used to be people who went to church three or more weekends each month. In, 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 in research and, and, and figuring things out, church landscape, regular attenders used to be people who went to church three or more weekends each month. Such an interesting thing, right? That's what research has found. Again, when we study the Bible, we've already seen, and we're going to continue to see, that they were connected all the time. They were together all the time. Regular attenders used to be people who went to church three or more weekends each month, or even several times in a week, right? Because, you know, we, we've changed our structure from having that midweek service, and we've got groups throughout the week now, and we're trying to accomplish a purpose as, a, as the Lord's purpose as, as a church. But as far as the collective goes, people, it says now people who show up once every four to six weeks consider themselves regular churchgoers. And the question that we have to answer is how far have we drifted from the first church, from what Christ desires, his design? God ensured that the first church knew how serious how important things were in and for the church right away. This, this, this couple came, and they were like, oh, yeah, we're approaching the church of Jesus Christ, the blood-bought church, the family of God, the building of God, the house of God, the, 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 the temple of the Holy Spirit. He, he made sure that the, that first group, remember, they've grown by thousands. Now thousands of people were a part of this church. And right off the bat, he made sure they knew this serious. This is eternal. You could go back to your home and plan to go to your job on a Monday morning and die before you even get to that job. What would be most important at that point? The eternal things. God desires for his people to understand and treat and approach his church, us, with the eternal importance that he's given it. This morning as I close, I, I, I want to encourage you. Again, we'll just do that point one this morning. Let's make sure that we approach this church, the church of Jesus Christ, with eternal importance. I've said this before. I, I, I have family, family in this church, family outside of this church. I've been on different teams in history. I, I've had close connections with people, with groups. There is nothing more significant and important than the church that Jesus Christ 
has built and is building. If we don't start treating it like that, I believe that we're going to stand accountable before God one day. And I'm not saying that as a threat or, or anything like that. I just want us to grab the soberness of the issue. And this time of year, we, we, we celebrate. Is it, is it fantasy that we're celebrating? That God so loved that he sent his son? Or do we really believe that God sent his son to die on a cross, paying for our sins, rising from the dead to give us eternal life, and to, 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 to have for him a people that are called out, a church, set apart unto him to accomplish an eternal mission? Again, our, our, our context needs to be that. Our worldview needs to be that. And if we do that, there's nothing that God won't do in and through this church. I believe that with all my heart. If we get there, instead of approaching it like something maybe we do on the weekend or activities, spiritual church activities that we do even throughout the week, if we approach it like it's the building of God, the family of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, with eternal importance and significance— that I, don't, I think God would transform our families, individual families. I think God would transform everything that's happening here and, and happening from here. That's what he did all throughout history. So I believe it, it's, it's true for us. Let's respond the right way this morning. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity again, Lord, to be your church. Lord, we know that it's not a design of man. Uh, just as we were talking about a while ago, the, the body, our bodies, are your design. Uh, we, we didn't, we have no part of that. God, it's all your design. Even how other lives are brought into this world, all your design. The church is your design. And Lord, help us to, as we approach our, our bodies, as we approach our families, but with greater importance and significance, let us approach your body, your family, the church, your, your design with that eternal importance. Lord, help us not be like Ananias and Sapphira that treated the church like it was another group, that they could just treat how they wanted. Lord, help us to approach you and your church uh, the way that honors you. And Lord, again, help us to respond now. Again, if there's somebody that isn't a part of this, or they've never had a moment in their life where they surrendered their life to you, they've never uh, turned away from sin, repented of their sin, They've never placed their faith in you so that they could have eternal life with you. Lord, if there's somebody like that here, I pray they would come now during this invitation and say, how do I get that? How do I go to heaven when I die? Lord, just move now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he plays and as he sings, I want to encourage you to respond. However the Lord leads you.